Hey guys, I want to welcome you guys all to Rock Fellowship. We're so thankful that you've joined us. So glad to see all of your faces here. Um, and I want to welcome our online audience as well, whether you're watching from Portland, if you're in a different part of the country, to our friends in Arizona and our friends in Anchorage, Alaska. Can we turn off the pad? We got the pad going on? <laughs> Thank you. It's a nice background, but I don't know through the whole sermon. Um, but I want to welcome our online audience and all of you guys here in church as well. We're so glad that you're with us. Uh, we are at the last message of our current series, and our current series is called Some Good News. Some Good News. And what we've been talking about is trying to deepen and expand our understanding of what we call the good news, or as some call it, the gospel. Like, what is it really? And um, as we've been digging deep, we're understanding that it's actually bigger than what many people normally think about what they what, what comes to mind when they think about the gospel. And, and what we're the main thing, the most foundational truth of this series that we talked about in the very first message is that uh, the gospel is not simply about the afterlife. It's not simply about how do you punch your ticket to heaven. It's not simply about what's the what do I gotta do to make sure that when I die, I'm in the good place rather than the bad place or wherever. Right? Uh, well, well, it, it's more than just figuring out. It's more than just like this dangling carrot at the end of your life. So I got to act good and be good. And, and so hopefully one day when I die, I'll, I'll be taken care of. It's, it's bigger than that. It's deeper than that. And it's more beautiful than that. And so in this series, what we've been talking about, how in the first message, the, 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 the gospel that we want to understand and accept and believe in is the one that Jesus taught. Right? Not the one that the preachers are talking about today. Not even the one that I'm talking about. What we need to take hold of is the gospel Jesus preached. How did Jesus see the good news? And in Mark chapter 1, he explains what is the good news. And this is what he says in Mark chapter 1. Simply this. This is the gospel according to Jesus. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. This is Jesus' words when he says, I'm bringing the good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. And there's no mention of the afterlife. There's no mention of even heaven. Now, I'm not saying that that's not true. That is all absolutely true and that is wonderful and full of hope and it is fantastic and it's a wonderful thing to, to know is going to happen. But the gospel is bigger than simply that. Jesus said that the gospel is, the good news is that the kingdom of God is near now. And the other way we can understand that word near is also available to you. So the good news is that the kingdom of God is available to you. What does that mean? It means that the current way of life, the current powers that we are all under right now, we no longer have to live according to those values and those principles and those priorities anymore. We have a new kingdom that we can live under. We have a new king we can follow. And in this kingdom, it's completely different than the kingdom that we live in. In the kingdom we live in, your, your value and your worth is measured by your, your productivity, your, your, uh, what, what you produce, and, and, and your performance. It's, it's valued by the size of your house and the, the, the quality of your car, the, 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 the brands of your clothes. And in this new kingdom, none of that matters anymore. In this new kingdom, the highest value is love expressed through grace, mercy, justice, compassion, and truth. And this is the new way of life that we get to choose to live in now because the kingdom of God has come near and is available to ordinary people like you and me. 
that when we live in this new kingdom, you no longer have to worry about your neighbor or your friends and the car they drive and the house they live in and the vacation they took. You no longer need to compare yourself to other people anymore in this new kingdom. In the old kingdom, you did. In the old kingdom, you did. And that's what you do to make yourself feel better in the old kingdom. You go look at what other people are doing. You outdo them and you feel good about yourself. You post the pictures on Instagram and social media that make you look good and you had a better vacation. And we never say these words, but these are the things going on deep inside. We don't have to feel bad because we are not as successful as someone else in the new kingdom. This new kingdom with a completely different perspective, a diff completely different list of priorities and values is now here. Basically, everything wrong with the world now today, this new kingdom is the opposite of. And that is the good news. That's what we talked about in the very first message. The second message last week, we talked about the method of sharing the good news that I believe people will actually do and that Jesus did was simply this idea of table fellowship, also known as the dinner party. That one of the best ways, one of Jesus' favorite methods of sharing the good news with people was simply having a meal with someone. And we talked about how that was a very, very, uh, uh, it was much more at that time than it is now, but we also see the value of sharing meals and sharing food with people in our lives as well. And one of the best ways to share the good news is to start by inviting someone over to your house and sharing a meal together and talking, getting to know those people. Now, simply the challenge. And so if you want to kind of hear the entirety of this message series, you can go to our website, rockfellowshipsta.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts, search Rock Fellowship, and you'll find our podcast and every message from this series and all the other messages we preach is there for you guys to listen to. So, uh, or you can go to our YouTube channel as well. Now, we are in our final message of this series. It's just a three-part series. And what I said that we're going to talk about is a very practical message today. I'm going to answer this question. Because as you all probably know, to talk about your faith in the secular world, in, in your work or in your school, like, that's maybe kind of a scary thing. Some of you guys are really good at it. Some of you guys went door to door growing up, and you have no problem. That's fantastic, and, and we can definitely learn from you. But for a lot of people, this is kind of a scary thing. You know, on the plane or the bus or, or at work in the cubicle next to you, that's like kind of an uncomfortable conversation, and, and maybe you're, you're shy to share this. So what I want to do today for this last message is answer this question. In our world today, how can we talk about our faith in a way that is true, meaningful, and not uncomfortable? How can we talk about our faith in a way that is true, meaningful, and, but also at the same time, not uncomfortable? Like, you don't have to be scared of it. Like, I'm going to share with you a way to talk about your faith. At the very end of the message, a way to talk about our faith that I think is true, meaningful, and like relatively painless. Relatively painless. So, I'm excited to share that message. Now, in the very first message of a series, I mentioned that this series is really not about this series. And what I meant by that is that this series is kind of a build-up to a project that we're doing in October. And in October, what we're doing as a, a way to share the good news is uh, Pastor Jonathan and I are producing a six-episode six, uh, six YouTube series that is kind of a message of the good news geared towards people who are not in the church. It is completely directed for people and, and designed for people who are 
unchurched, and they don't really know much of the Bible. They're like kind of spiritual, interested in science, and, and, and are interested in finding the, the connection between science and spirituality. But they're like, I don't really want to go to church. I don't know if I'm about Jesus and the Bible. Like if you know people like that, this, this YouTube series is going to be for them. And so we're working on that, and this is kind of a buildup until I get everyone on board, like get excited about this kind of thing that we're going to do, and an invitation for you guys to share it with people online, on Facebook or social media. Um, but as I was like thinking and praying about it a couple weeks ago, I was like, man, you know what the best way to like get people excited about the good news and, and, and sharing the gospel with people? It's not anything that I say. It's actually hearing stories of how the gospel has changed people's lives, right? Like that fires you up. Like when you hear that, you're like, oh, yeah, that's amazing. And so I put it out there in the very first message that if anyone wants to share a story about how the good news of the gospel has changed their lives, then come talk to me. And I wasn't going to like pressure anyone. I wasn't going to like pretend that someone just chose, but when actually I told them to do it, you know, I wasn't going to do that. I was going to leave it out in the open. I'm thankful to share with you guys that one person did come up to me and say, hey, I would like to share something about how the gospel has changed my life. So part of this message is hearing the story from this particular person, and then after this person is done, I'm going to continue on with the message, and at the very end, we'll get to that part of how we can talk about our faith in a true, meaningful, and not uncomfortable way. So right now, I'm going to invite uh, Andy O to come up. Andy, can we give Andy a, a warm round of applause? If you guys don't know, this is, uh, this is Andy. He is one of our, uh, our members here at this church. I've known Andy for actually a really long time. Um, when I was like, I think a college student, high school student, he was coming out to our church because his cousin was my pastor, so I'm sure he pressured him and forced him to come out, hang out with a bunch of high school kids. But um, I'm so thankful for Andy. He's going to share with us a little bit how the gospel and the good news has changed his life. Thanks, Pastor. Um, in the last uh, year or so, I have uh, felt this, like, tugging that I need to, like, something needs to change. And... Um, God has been speaking to me um, through other people. Um, as Pastor was saying before, uh, my cousin Kevin, who, um, you know, is not someone to really speak about his spirituality, gave his little mini testimony, which was, you know, inspiring to me. Um, and I've just kind of seen, like, his voice through other people um, in our youth and just in various uh, members of our church. Um, and more intimately, he's been speaking to me through my wife, who has not really been like a very powerful, like spiritual, church-going person her, her life, but in the last couple years, she's been serving on the board and doing children's ministry, and it's really, um, I've seen how the gospel has changed her life, and um, it's really inspired me, and, and I feel like God is um, speaking to me in that way, which I've, I felt like was very powerful. Um, having said that, I don't feel like my life has, like, taken a 180 degree turn and my spirituality is just through the roof or anything like that, but I can see him moving uh, in that way and it, it is um, it is inspiring. Um, the, the other thing is that recently I've been um, having some 
college kids come through my clinic because apparently because of COVID, um, these kids can't get any, uh, any time visiting other, other hospitals or clinics. And so um, I've been having them over and just talking to them. And it has reminded me of, um, as I tell them my story of going through college and med school, it has reminded me of how much God has uh, been faithful to me and how um, being able to um, be faithful to his word and having to rely on him has um, greatly, greatly really helped me through um, all those, those years. And uh, the funny thing is I hear like that the stories that they hear from the current med students is that it's so difficult and their life is like miserable and all this and all I can remember is med school is so fun. <laughs> I had like such a great time. And I think part of the reason why is because um, I never felt that um, I was not going to be able to accomplish what God didn't want me to accomplish and that I just relied and was faithful to, look, he's brought me this far and I will just um, continue to rely on him. And uh, interestingly, we you know, talked about in Sabbath school, we're talking about the Sabbath and rest and things like that. And um, one of the college students who's no longer at our church here, he just randomly texted me and wanted to come um, shadow me asked me about that, about, you know, did you have to study on Sabbaths and things like that? And I, and I told him, look, I, I never did. I never felt the, the need to, and I just felt like, um, I just felt more at peace when I was able to just kind of take that mental break away from, from school and things like that. So uh, just in so many different ways, I feel like, um, God's good news and his um, promises have really guided me and helped me um, through life and through the good times and through the bad times. And, you know, currently it's uh, not the best time for me spiritually, but I can still hear his voice through these other avenues and through the people around me. So that's all. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, just um, for this chance to hear Andy's story and to, to hear what he's going through and also to uh, learn about your faithfulness, God, in his life. And um, Lord, if there's anyone in this place who is feeling something similar, kind of a, maybe a dark night, a season of their life where they, you feel distant, Lord, help them to know, God, that you are present at this moment and, and you understand and there are other people who are in that same place. Father, I pray a special blessing uh, upon Andy, that you would just be with him and guide him in his journey. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for continuing to speak into his life. Father, as we continue this message, Lord, I pray for your blessing and for the Holy Spirit to be present. Um, God, you and I both know, Lord, this is all about you. And so thank you for each person here. Help them to hear what they need to hear, Lord. Name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says, 
On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, um, comes right after the death of Stephen. And Stephen, if you guys are not familiar with who he is, he was the first Christian martyr. So he was the first Christian who died for his faith. And it happened in A.D. 34. And that event was a game changer. That changed everything in that time. Because when, when, when Stephen was killed by the Jewish leaders, it basically sent a message to everybody, hey guys, starting now, it's okay to go and kill Christians. So everyone's like, okay, like that's a thing now, so we can just go get rid of the Christians. If we don't like them, we can get rid of them. And Rome didn't do anything, whereas previously when there was a death sentence, they had to get approved by the Roman government. That's why like Pontius Pilate had to be like talked to and Jesus, he had to give the okay. But like now, apparently you don't have to do that. You could just go out and then kill the Christian that you want to kill, right? So like it kind of, op it was open season on Christians now. And so everyone's like, okay, like this is now how the world is. Completely anti-Christian. For our faith, we're going to get killed. We need to run away. And so it said, as in chapter 8, verse 1, they were scattered. And almost everyone left except for the apostles. And they stayed in Jerusalem. So I want you guys to uh, put yourself in their shoes. If you are in a place that your life is, no, is now in danger because people are coming after you and you run away, where you, the question you have to ask is, where am I going to go? Where can I go to be safe, right? That's what kind of what you're, you're wondering. And so all these Christians, they leave Jerusalem and they scatter around and they are, 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 are looking for a place to go to be safe. And here's the crazy thing, like here's the most amazing thing about this story, right? Is that uh, what it says in chapter 8, verse 4. It says, those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went, wherever they went. Wherever they went, whether it's like, you know, 100 miles this way, 200 miles this way, 50 miles that way, wherever they went, no matter the town, they went and they preached the word. And it gives this example of one man named Philip in, in verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. So Philip... He is not one of the original disciples. He's one of the guys who was chosen to uh, serve the church as one of the first deacons. Is kind of how the story goes. And so he gets spread out to, he scatters, and he goes to a place in Samaria, and he begins to preach the gospel, the good news there. Now, I never noticed this. In, in all my years of ministry, in, in studying the Bible, I never noticed this until this week, that if you think about the history and the relationship that the Jews had with the Samaritans, and I'm going to explain what that was for those of you guys who don't know. Samaria was the worst place you would want to go if you were running for your life. And the reason why is as history tells us that the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They hated each other. They never wanted to associate with each other. It was a rule that you could never speak. If you were a Jew, you could never speak to a Samaritan. The relationship with the Samaritans and the Jews were so bad that if you wanted to go from point A to point B, but Samaria was in the middle, instead of going through a straight line, you would go hours, days around Samaria to get to your location because you would not be caught dead as a Jewish person in Samaria, right? So like the relationship was horrible. And, and, and when Jesus was, was doing his life and his ministry, 
he, he, made, uh, he shared a parable that many people know, and we have hospitals named after the Good Samaritan. And there's a story where the best person in the story was a Samaritan. And not only was he a really good person, and Jesus told the story and made him look really good, he made him look better than the priests of Israel and better than the priestly class of Israel. And people were totally offended by that. That's how bad it was. But for some reason, at this time, which is, by the way, only a few years after Jesus told that story, and Jesus did all those things with the Samaritans, right? Because Jesus died in 33. This happened in 34. This is one year after Jesus' death and resurrection. In that time, for some reason, now Philip had the thought, hey, I need to run for my life. I need to find safety. I'm now a refugee, right? And I'm running away from persecution. Let me go somewhere where I'll be safe. Let's go to Samaria. Do you understand why, like, that's kind of a, a strange idea, knowing the history of Samaria and Jews, like the, the, the international conflict there, the potential tensions? Except Philip says, I'm going to go to Samaria, of all places, he goes to Samaria. And not only that, look what happens when he goes to Samaria. He, he, as it explained, he preached the gospel there. Look what happens. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all played close, played close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So not only has Samaria gone from a place where you wouldn't be caught dead as a Jewish person, and if you went there, you could actually end up dead as a Jewish person. It's turned from that into a place that not only is a safe harbor for Christians running away from persecution, where the people there would not rat you out and sell you out to the Roman government or to the Jewish leaders. They wouldn't do that. They would hide you in their homes, and they would keep you safe. And not only that, but when they heard the message of the good news from a Jewish person, they accepted it, believed it, and the whole everyone was changed. And there was, as it said, great joy in that city. Like, this is strange, right? Like, what happened there? Like, that's what I'm hoping you're wondering. What happened in Samaria that could have changed it completely? What happened in Samaria that it could go from a dangerous place for Jews to a safe haven for Jews in just a matter of years? Like, we're talking a matter of maybe three to four years. They changed completely. And now they're completely open to the, open to the gospel. And like that last verse, man, there was great joy in that city. That's like a real life irony situation. It's completely ironic that there would be great joy in the city now that the Jewish Christians have entered into the city. It makes no sense thinking about the history. So what happened? And why is it important for us today in this series and in our time, in our world, why does it matter that Samaria changed? Listen to what it is said in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, as they continue to talk about what was going on in the city. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news, that's what we're talking about this whole series, of the kingdom of God. and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. You see, 
The gospel and the good news being preached to them was, as we had mentioned, the gospel and good news of Jesus, that the kingdom of God is near. It wasn't the the message of the gospel. It wasn't the message of the good news that so many people think about and understand that it's, you know, about punching your ticket to heaven. It's about your afterlife. It's about you being taken care of, you know, 30, 40 years later when you die or whenever you die, you're going to be taken care of. It was not this this, uh, self-centered version of faith where I got to just take care of myself and secure my spot in heaven. It was this news that the kingdom of God has come near. This was the good news that was being preached to them that they were receiving and being changed because of it. It it wasn't this this good news of what's the bare minimum. Let's be honest. When we believe that the gospel of Jesus is simply about punching your ticket to heaven, we, we unknowingly or knowingly, we inevitably think, okay, what's the bare minimum I need to do now to make sure I'm good? It wasn't that gospel. It wasn't that good news. It was the good news of the kingdom of God. And the name of Jesus Christ. It was the good news that you guys are living in a time under this kingdom, right? We're living under the Roman Empire, and this is how it is. And the Romans have control over everything, and you have to give your stuff away to them, and you have to, they're going to steal your stuff, you have to pay the taxes, you got to do all the things. And it's a horrible, horrible life, you have no freedom. But guess what? There's a new kingdom. And that new kingdom has a king, and is so different than the emperor. This king is not Caesar. This emperor is not some other king. Like, this is, this is different. This is complete. There's a new king. You see, the good news that was being preached and that they were accepting was the good news of a new life in a new kingdom. And it was the good news of a good life in a new kingdom. And it was the good news of a good life in a good kingdom ruled by a good king. And he's telling the people that kingdom, that king was Jesus. And he's here. And you can live in that kingdom now. Where the wealthy serve the poor. Where the powerful give to the weak. That's this kingdom that we can live in. Where, where, where we love our enemies and we love them so much until they become friends where we forgive one another, where we understand each other, where we give people the benefit of the doubt, that kingdom is now here and available to all of us. We can live in that right now in this moment. And people were being changed because the whole city was changed because of it. So Samaria was a completely different place. But, but if you're tracking with me, you might see that there's a, there's a flaw in my logic here. Because as, it, as, it, as the story is unfolded, it's clear that Philip went to Samaria expecting safety. Meaning, it wasn't when he went and preached the good news that everything changed. He knew that if he went there, he would be safe. So, so it wasn't Philip that made Samaria better. It wasn't the good news that Philip preaches to the Samaritans that made it a good place to go or a safe place to go. Something must have happened before in that city that changed it years ago. What was that? What was it that that changed that city a few years prior to make it into the safe haven that it became? You see, the good news wasn't preached to the Samaritans by Philip. That wasn't the first time it was preached to them. It was preached to them before. 
by someone else. In John chapter 4, we hear this story. Jesus goes and meets this woman and shows her who, what the kingdom is like and who the king is and what the king was like. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman, the Samaritan woman, at a well. And he says, I'm thirsty. Give me something to drink. And she, it says in the Bible, she was shocked because Jewish people and Samaritans never talk to each other. And he's a man and he's talking to me. This is scandalous. You can't do that. But Jesus in that moment shows her the kingdom of God. And she looks to him and has his experience with him and says, this is the king. This is the Messiah. This is the king who rules that new kingdom. This guy's amazing. He knows everything that I've done. He knows all the bad things that I've done, yet he loves me and is accepting me, and he's there for me, and he's present with me in this moment. This is that king. If that's what the king is like, I want to be in that kingdom. So she runs to her village, to a place where she was once ostracized, and she tells everybody about this king and about this kingdom that he's bringing in. And this is what it says in John chapter 4, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, Jesus, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. So in Samaria... The kingdom of God was forming. The kingdom of God was emerging in, in, in like, like a mustard seed, and it began growing. The kingdom of God, Samaria became a little outpost of the kingdom of God. And it began when Jesus reached out to this woman, ministered to this woman, and it started changing in that moment. And look what Ellen White says to us in Acts of the Apostles. This is so cool. This is so cool. This is what she says. Christ's message to the Samaritan woman with whom he had talked at Jacob's well, had borne fruit. Had borne fruit. There were results. And look what she says. Look what she says. This is so cool. Uh, but, sorry. Let's go. To, yeah. And when his disciples were driven from Jerusalem, some found in Samaria a safe asylum. The Samaritans welcomed these messengers of the gospel. And the Jewish converts gathered a precious harvest from among those who had once been their bitterest enemies. Isn't this amazing? Right, this town full of enemies in just a few years was transformed and changed by the good news of the kingdom of God. So much so that when the, the Christians needed safety, the Jewish Christians, not the Gentile Christians, the Jewish Christians living in Jerusalem, their former enemies needed safety. They're like, wait, we know this. We know this. We're living in the kingdom of God where you love your enemies. Let's bring them in. Let's protect them. Let's watch over them. Let's, let, let's, be, let's be the kingdom of God because that's what we learn from Jesus. That's what, the king, that's what the king would want. And so Samaria was changed. And the Christian, and like whenever I have moments in scripture or in my life when I kind of think about, you ever do this? We think about, you kind of step back from your life and think about how God has arranged things and, 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 and arranged scenarios and situations to, to lead to a certain direction. Like it blows your mind. And so when I think about this, I read this story, like Jesus went there. Maybe he knew what was going to happen. And he's like, he, he implanted the kingdom of God so that later the Christians would have a safe place to go. Like it's, it's amazing, man. 
the kingdom of God grew in Samaria of, of all the places. So what changed this place was the good news. And again, it wasn't one day when you die, you'll go to heaven. If you just believe in, in Jesus, it wasn't that. It was that there's a new kingdom in town. And there's a new king. And his way of life is different. And his way of thinking is different. And it's so much better. And they hung on to that. And they were changed. A little while later, the story in Acts chapter 8 tells us that, that Philip was like, they were doing so much great work. They're like, dude, we need reinforcements. So he, he sends a letter to Jerusalem and says, guys, we need help. And so Peter, the apostle Peter, the one with Jesus, he comes to Samaria he comes to Samaria to, to help out, and he's like seeing all this stuff, right? Like he's seeing the change of Samaria, and he's been there, right? Because he was with Jesus in John chapter 4, and he remembers what it was like, and he knows he has the feelings, and he knows how bad it was. And he knows how uncomfortable he felt when he went there, and he steps into Samaria, and he's like, this place is completely different. This is the kingdom of God. It's not what it was once before. And then, late, and then later he writes a letter that we call First Peter. And it's a letter written to Jewish Christians who are in persecution and who, are, who, are, who have been scattered or living in different places, right? Just like the people who went to Samaria. And I can't prove this to you, okay? I can't prove this, that Peter was thinking about Samaria, but I, I have to believe that as he was writing this letter about encouraging people who were scattered, he couldn't help but think about Samaria because it was such like a, 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 strong, left a strong image in his mind. And this is what he writes to them, to, to, these, to these people who have been scattered. And I think he's thinking about Samaria, what he experienced and what he saw there. And he says to them, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Like, if you're scattered, make sure that Jesus is number one. But when people ask you about your hope, Make sure that you have an answer for that. Make sure that you can tell them about the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom of God. You see, when, when, when Peter looked at the situation in Samaria, and he thought, what's happening here? This is his conclusion. That the reason why Samaria changed was hope. The reason why this city changed, why the people in this city changed, is that they were given hope in the kingdom of God. You see, what we have to understand, what we have to understand in 2021, in the world that we live in, in the world that is some pretty much post-Christian, anti-Christian, whatever you want to call it, that we need, that the gospel is, that the good news is, what it really is, guys, is hope. And nothing can give the world hope like the gospel can. Nothing can give hope in the same way that the news that a new kingdom is here and a new king is here and he is different than all other leaders, all other political leaders. He is there for you like Andy was talking about in his story. He's present in your life and he's speaking to you and he cares about you and he loves you and he knows you. That's the king who is ruling this new kingdom that we now live in. Like nothing will give you hope like that, like that message. Hope is what changed Samaria. And this is what I've learned. This is what I've learned. What 
What brought hope was the good news of a good life in a good kingdom with a good king. That hope is what changed Samaria. And as we, you know, conclude this series, this is some good news series, as we talk about sharing the good news with other people, this, guys, is why we do it. This is why we do it. It is not to, to get points. It is not to grow the church. It is not to get more converts or more baptisms or more people in this building. We share the good news. And maybe that's what you thought, but I want to invite you to a new way of thinking. We share the good news because the good news is hope. And people need hope. And no one else can give them hope but the gospel. And if we want to give hope, like... Let's go back to that statement. When, 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 when they looked at Samaria, what did it say? There was great joy in that city. There was great joy in that city. It's like, it's a, it's, it's a, a statement and a description that describes a whole community. There was great joy, communal joy in that city. Imagine that. I don't know if you guys have ever felt this where you drive around our city, Portland, and what you think about what's happening in this city. And it's like terrible in all kinds of ways. You see all kinds of problems. You see all kinds of broken people all over the place in our city. There is, we don't, you cannot use that phrase to describe our city, can we? Can we say there is great joy in the city of Portland? And for those of you guys watching in, 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 in Arizona, in Phoenix, or those of you watching in Anchorage or L.A., wherever you are, can you say, there is great joy in my city? It's hard to say that these days. But imagine. Imagine a scene where we could look at our cities and say, yeah, there is great joy in Portland. There is great joy in Vancouver. There is great joy in Happy Valley. There is great joy in Gilbert, Arizona, or Anchorage, Alaska. Like this, imagine being able to say there is great joy in this place, in this community. If we want to see, if we want to see great joy in our city, we need to be the bringers of great hope to our city. If we want to see great joy in our families, we need to be the bringers of great hope into our families. And I don't know, maybe you don't care about the city. Maybe it's like too far away from you, too removed for you. But think about fill in the blank, whatever community, whatever area that you want to see great joy in, then we need to be the bringers of great hope to that community. Whether it's Portland or Los Angeles or Seattle or, or Gilbert, Arizona or Phoenix or Anchorage, wherever, if we want to see great joy, we need to be bringers of great and that's what the good news is. And that's what we've been given in the good news of the gospel. We've been given a way to bring hope to people. So, 
Like I said, as we close, I want to share with you a way you can talk about your faith that is true to the good news of the gospel, that is true to the way Jesus understood the good news, but is actually not painful, not uncomfortable, an easy way to talk about it. Now, if you are really good at talking about your faith, you can totally ignore the last part of the sermon, right? If you like, I love to talk about my faith, and I love to talk about this way, I have experience, and I've done it so many ways, and it's like really meaningful, perfect. You can ignore the last part. But if you are a person where you're like, ah. Oh, I'm scared if people know that I go to church. If someone at work is like, why do you go to church? Or why do you believe in God? Or why do you worship? Or why are you a Christian? If, if, if anyone asks those questions and you start to like kind of turtle, and you're like, well, I was uh, born into the church, and my mom, and, uh, and you don't really know what to say. Like if that's you, this is it. So, so this last part of the message, I just want to share with you an easy way to talk about your faith in a way that I think can lead to a scenario where hope could enter that situation. Okay, so here it is, all right? Real, real simple, okay, and I'm going to go through it pretty quick. This is just the last part as we conclude this series. How can we talk about our faith in a way that is meaningful, true, hopeful, and also not painful and not uncomfortable? Three or four statements. The fourth one, you can leave it out, you can add it if you want. Three statements here. Here we go. I believe I was put here to make the world a better place. So someone asks you, why are you a Christian? Well, let me tell you, I believe I was put here to make the world a better place. I believe the best way to do that is through love. Not force, not coercion, not manipulation, but love. I think the best way to make the world a better place is through love. And I believe the best example of love is Jesus. That's why I'm a Christian. Simple, easy way. Why do you go to church? Why are you a Christian? Well, I believe I was put here for a reason. I, I, was, I believe I was put here to make the world a better place. And I believe that the best way to do that is through love. And I believe the best example of love is Jesus. That's, that's why I'm a Christian. Real simple way. We'll put this on our Instagram. We'll put this on our Facebook so you guys can take it with you. But we just want to equip you with a way to talk about your faith in a meaningful way. This is not painful, right? Like, this is not like, uh, uh, I don't know if I can talk about it. This is an easy way to talk about it. It's true, too. And it's a way that we can bring hope to people's lives. We, the follow-up questions, the conversations that can come from it, I think is going to be amazing. If we begin to have these conversations about faith in this way. Again, take it or leave it. This is not something you have to do. You don't have to do this. If you have a way to talk about your faith, absolutely go do that. But if you need a way to communicate your faith in a meaningful way that is true and maybe not too painful... Here you go. But what it comes down to, guys, what it all comes down to is we are called to share some good news with the people in our lives. Why? Because our world needs hope. And we are called to be the bringers of that hope. The good news is hope. And we've been entrusted with this wonderful gift. So as we conclude this series, I just want to invite you guys to participate and engage. And all you have to do is just pray to God. God, give me an opportunity. Don't force your way into it. Don't like just be going around and, sh you know, shoving this in people's faces. Just allow God to move and give you opportunities. And think about, is this a moment where I can just share those three simple statements with someone else? Who in my life needs hope? As we conclude, I just want to end with that phrase that they used to describe Samaria. There was great joy in that city. Let's be the bringers of great hope 
to our city, to our schools, to our families, to our friend groups, to our clubs. Let's be the bringers of great hope so that we might see great joy in our communities. That is some good news. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, I thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for what you've shown us today. It was so cool for me, Lord, when I, when I was studying and preparing, and you hit me over the head with this truth that Samaria was changed. An entire city was changed because of the hope that is found in the good news of the gospel. Man, I would love to see that in our world today. I would love to be able to say that about our city and about our country, Father. There was great joy. But God, the world has no way to make that happen. But you do. And it's the message of the gospel, the good news. Lord, I ask that um, if anyone is willing in this moment, Father, to offer themselves up as a person to share the good news with someone, Lord, give us an opportunity this week. And if we, we need a way to communicate, Lord, help us to remember these three simple statements, Father, about how we can share our faith in a meaningful way. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in you. I pray, God, that you would bless each and every single person in this place. And, Father, like you did the apostles, disciples, send us out to the schools, to the work, to the parks, to the community centers, to the clubs, wherever we go, to be the bringers of great hope, the great hope found in the greatest news that this world has ever heard, that we have a king named Jesus, and is bringing his kingdom here today. In your name we pray.